Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and... I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Hey, y'all. I'm going to throw something a little different at you today. This story was written by Nicole Corner Stace, and it first appeared in issue 33 of Uncanny Magazine. Uncanny is an amazing speculative fiction magazine and podcast that has published lots of great fiction, nonfiction, poetry, the works. They are amazing over at Uncanny. Nicole is the author of the Norton Award finalist Archivist Wasp and its sequel Latchkey. Both of those are YA titles, and she's got both adult and middle grade science fiction debut novels coming out this summer. I love the way she writes. And this story, Getaway, is about a girl gang on a heist to steal a mysterious object, but the heist goes very, very wrong. This is a story of persistence, about searching and striving for connection when it seems completely impossible. You'll understand what I mean later on. Now, remember how I said that this is a heist gone wrong? It's going to be bloody and have more swearing than usual. Uh, a lot more swearing than usual. And I'm just letting you know that now. So please check out the written content advisory if you want more details on that. Nicole has done something so unusual and fun with this story. I'm really eager to see how you respond. So let's get started, shall we? Let's take a deep breath. And begin. Getaway by Nicole Corner Stace. Eighty-six. This time, you tell yourself you'll stay put, like you were told to. Sit with the engine idling and bide your fucking time. You won't go running in there after them. Not this time. You know by now that you can't stop them anyway. That all it's going to gain you is a stitch in your side and a front row seat while your whole crew gets shot to shit, and you ride along with them. All five of you went into this job with a certain level of assumed risk, and there's no time to explain how someone went and raised the hell out of the bar. Nobody was looking. Your palms are sweating. You wipe them on your pants. Check the clock. Four, three, two... You reach across the passenger seat to pop the door just as Janelle slams into the car, one bloodied hand 
outstretched comically for a door handle she expected to be shut. She slings the backpack to the footwell. It squelches when it lands. Against the black canvas, the blood might be water. All dead. You mouth the words as she says them. Her voice sounds wet, like there's a sponge caught in her throat. You've buried her eight times now, and no better. Went bad. Just me. Go. She bleeds out right on time, 12.2 miles north of New Liberty on the interstate. You ease the car off onto the shoulder and sigh. You nod the same stale apology to Janelle's corpse as you fish the half-used roll of duct tape out of her left cargo pocket. Then, as carefully as you've ever done anything, you lift the bag out from between her boots. The artifact is inside, as usual, glowing the same green in the weird pre-storm light. Same idiotic expression on your face mirrored back at you from all its facets. Same hairline crack on its obverse side. Easy, you whisper, not sure whether you're talking to the thing in the bag or yourself. Not daring to take your eyes off it as you peel a length of duct tape from the roll. Easy now. This time, you actually get the tape applied. You can't believe your fucking eyes. It's like you're eight years old and it's all your birthdays and Halloweens and first days of summer vacation all colliding together at once. You barely remember to breathe. Finally, you say aloud, to the artifact or Janelle's cooling corpse or yourself you don't know. It doesn't matter. Fucking finally. You haven't gotten this far before, so you don't know yet whether you're about to cry. Even odds, really. Flip a coin. You're free. It's not three seconds before the duct tape detaches from the artifact's gem-like face, just slips right off, like a strip of wet paper. The artifact falls in neat halves. And that's that. 87. So, duct tape doesn't work. Great. Super glue doesn't work either. You know that from when you ditched the crew in the vault and sprinted three blocks to a convenience store to grab a tube. It took you four tries just to get back to the car in time for one of them. Janelle, most times, but Mira, once, to show up with the bag drop. The artifact's still in the vault for the moment, but you can see it in your mind like it's been burned into the back wall of your skull. Mentally, you turn it over and over, a puzzle without a solution. No duct tape? No super glue? Then what? Packing tape? Zip ties? Where the fuck are you even supposed to get? Janelle snaps her fingers in front of your face. Ten minutes. Keep it running. Everyone else is adjusting their masks, checking their safeties. Josie's crossing herself. Like that's going to keep her from getting her face shot off any more than it helped last time. Or the time before that. Or the time before that. Don't go, you want to tell them. It's just a job. We'll get another. But you don't. And it isn't. And you won't. This time, you're still in the idling car when the artifact breaks. Somewhere in the building. Maybe a stray bullet caught the backpack. Maybe they fumbled it before they even got it in. Maybe it dropped and broke. You'll never know. Like a black bag over the head. That sudden. Here you are, drumming your hands on the steering wheel, thinking back on that first time. That first time they'd all come tearing out of the front doors. 
Janelle in the lead with the backpack clutched in one hand, Priya dragging Josie, whose leg had been chewed up by sentry fire. Mira trailing behind, providing covering fire for the few shots she managed to get off before she dropped. You'd been halfway out of the car, not sure what precisely the fuck you planned on doing to aid this situation when Janelle spotted you. Still running, she'd raised the backpack arm and made this kind of shooing gesture. Get the fuck back in the fucking car. When the shots took her from behind, the backpack went sailing through the air to land not four feet from the toes of your sneakers, and the artifact slipped halfway out. Janelle hadn't even had time to zip up the compartment. No matter. You scooped up the artifact and straightened just in time for a bullet to plash into your guts with no more resistance than a boot into mud. You didn't even feel it at first. You just heard the light, almost musical cracking of the artifact as the bullet grazed its face. You looked down and had about half a second of dim awareness that you'd botched the job. Couldn't even see where the break was through the blood and matter pouring out of you. And then, something blindsided you, vast and dark. You only realized later it was the street. Here, now, you still don't even know what the artifact is. A job. The less known about, the better. So went your philosophy previous to this. You are beginning to vehemently reassess this decision. Three of them make it back to the car this time. Janelle, Josie, Priya, all yelling, Go! 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 and pounding on the back of your seat. You almost tell them it doesn't matter. None of you are making it back to the safe house. Not now. Not ever. Instead, you play along. Slam your foot down on the gas. The car squeals forward. Beside you, Janelle is inspecting the artifact. Fuck, you hear her say. It's busted. You shut your eyes. Take your hands off the wheel. Foot still gunning the car for all it's worth. You know what comes next. Hey! Priya shouts behind you. The fuck are you? The car never crashes. Or if it does, you're no longer there to see. 89. You've seen enough movies to know this is supposed to go one of two ways. Either the loop breaks when you realize you're an asshole, you get your shit together, you find your best self. To do this, you almost definitely need to find the other person on this timeline who's looping too. And then you help each other, cut each other loose, go home together, best friends forever. Roll credits, piece of cake. Or you have to find the anomaly that's causing the loop and fix it. But you're about 200% sure You've got the anomaly pretty well pegged, and nothing you can do does fix it. Dilemma. Which brings you back to option one? Only thing is, you're pretty sure you're not any more of an asshole than everyone else, and you reckon that if every asshole got pulled out of the main timeline and slingshot into their own personal self-realization pocket universe, or whatever... It might be something of a topic of conversation when they rejoined the collective reality. That and your loop seems to average, best you can tell, about 15 minutes. Sometimes the artifact breaks in the vault due to some early fuck-up. Sometimes it holds on until you're halfway to the hospital with Janelle shot to shit in the passenger seat. Not a lot you can do to better yourself in 15 minutes. Anyway, you're pretty sure sticking around and not driving off without them should go a long way toward making that quota. Not that you didn't try that a few times. 
it worked about as well as you expected. The proximity of the artifact to you when it breaks doesn't seem to enter into the equation. You're starting to wonder whether that first time when it broke and got your blood inside it, it imprinted on you somehow. You've seen in some documentary that birds do this. Baby birds. Not that it gets you any closer to an answer. The artifact isn't a baby anything, at least as far as you know. It's not like anyone even knows what the fucking thing actually is or where it came from. Originally, you mean. Not when they dug it up out of the bottom of the sea those couple of months ago. Whether it came from aliens or some previous civilization or another dimension or whatever the fuck they've been saying on the news. It's a job. Find, get, sell to the highest bidder, done. This kind of trivia doesn't enter in. At least not usually. Does running with thieves make you an asshole? Any more of an asshole than the assholes who put this thing in a vault without even knowing what it was? <sighs> Does it matter? Janelle bleeds out again, a little slower this time. Hey, she says as you speed down the interstate, party lights in the rear view, hospital sign coming up just two exits away. Her voice is bleary, like she's falling asleep. Your whole self is clenched, hoping she'll say something from which you can wring some significance. Something like, this again? Or, this is getting real old. Or, I'm getting pretty tired of dying in this shitty car. Something that assures you that you're in this together. You don't care if it's Janelle who says this. You'd take the same from anyone in the crew. Hell, some bystander you have yet to find. Someone. You feel this is the least you are owed. But what Janelle eventually says is... Nothing. Her heart stops before the thought escapes her mouth. Ninety. If this were a movie, you're pretty sure you'd have more options. More than 15 minutes between idling car and dead Janelle and broken artifact and reset. It'd just make for better filmmaking. You'd wake up in the morning and have this whole glorious fucking flowchart of choices arrayed out in front of you. None of this quarter-hour bullshit, which is your current and recurrent lifespan. You've got a long, long list of big ideas in your head, ways you'd play this day different if you only got the chance. You would have stayed the fuck in bed, for starters. 91. You're speeding away from the cops, Janelle drowning in her blood in the passenger seat when the front bumper clips the median guardrail and goes airborne skimming through the air like a skipped stone. Maybe the artifact breaks before your skull does. Maybe it doesn't. 92. Josie drops the bag. 93. Mira drops the bag. 94. You Drop the bag. 95. A guard recovers the bag from Mira's crumpled corpse. It's not zipped this time either. 96. 
Priya doesn't even put the artifact in the bag, just sprints out of there with it cradled in one arm like a football. She lobs it at you. It spirals toward your outstretched hands with mathematical precision. You catch it as if you were born to. It breaks anyway. Ninety-seven. You flee, all five of you, without taking the artifact at all. Janelle is pissed, but you don't care. This job is her shit show, not yours. At least, not originally. You're alive. You're all alive. You indulge in seven exquisite seconds of hope before some fuckwit in the building moves the artifact wrong, drops it, breathes on it, something. All at once, the four of them wink out around you like birthday candles in the breath of every trickster god there is. Ninety-eight. You tear ass into the building after them, not entirely sure what you plan to do, just that maybe if you get in there fast enough, you can reach the artifact before it breaks. Whatever it is, it's fragile, obviously. If it doesn't break when they shoot you, it breaks when it drops, or it falls apart in your hands, or Janelle's hands, or Priya's hands, or whoever's, or because somebody looked at it funny for all you know. Of course, this isn't the first time you've tried this. You usually don't make it as far as the lobby. The crew runs out past you, and you catch a few of the bullets meant for them. Does this affect your asshole karmic balance? It appears that it does not. This time, you're nearly to the elevators when a security goon comes out of nowhere and clotheslines you, snapping your neck like a twig. You lie there, and lie there, and lie there, vaguely aware that you've pissed yourself, waiting for whatever is going to happen to the artifact to do so. Eventually, it does. 99. Your duct tape retry doesn't work any better than the first attempt. Neither does ripping off your shirt sleeve and tying it around the thing. You toss the whole car looking for zip ties, but of course, there aren't any. You should know. It's your goddamn car. You're beginning to think that the natural state of the artifact is broken, and it was only a matter of waiting for the trigger. Wrong place, wrong time. Story of your miserable, endless life. It's turning out. One hundred. You try to bury Janelle again, but the cops catch up with you before you've so much as broken ground. You drop to your knees and let them retrieve the backpack. You've made sure to leave it out in the open, just for them. Maybe if one of them breaks it, the artifact will change its mind, imprint on one of them instead. If this was a fairy tale, it would 100% go down that way. Sucks for you that it's not. Look at them. They've got to be bigger assholes than you. You're just a middle-aged empty nester with a shit job. Wrong place, wrong time. An accident of fortune. These assholes won't even let you bury a dead colleague in peace. Come on, you fucker, you think? Fingers laced behind your head, the very picture of compliance. Come on. The cop slings the backpack into the trunk of her squad car. That single tinkling note, like crystal shattering, Barely has time to reach your ear. 101. Maybe you died that first time. Maybe you're dead now, right now, and everything that's come after that first bullet to the spleen has been your purgatory or something. 
your ghost's unfinished business. Do you have any unfinished business? Fuck if you know. Doesn't everyone? The botched job, of course, but that doesn't seem important enough to really count. That said, you don't really have a better idea. This time, you've got the artifact wedged between your thighs, clamping it together while you speed away from New Liberty, hospital-bound, cursing a constant stream under your breath. Janelle is fading in and out of consciousness. Josie, in the back, has stopped crying a while ago and is probably dead. A deer bolts across four lanes of highway in front of you. You slam the brakes. Out slides the artifact from its nest between your knees. So much for that. 102. You're starting to get to know the crew a little better. It's subtle, and it's gradual. In your 15-minute lifespans, you don't really expect anything profound. It's interesting, though, to notice things you didn't pick up on during the first, however many dozen iterations of this personal pocket hell you've blundered into. There's an uncomfortable intimacy to it, bearing witness to a death on repeat. Seeing a person realize over and over that their ride is about to be over. It's their stop. Time to get off. Nobody's tough guy demeanor seems to long withstand that staring contest with imminent, inescapable doom. Yours maybe suffers slightly less than some. Then again, you're the only one of them who knows you're coming back. None of this matters, you want to reassure them. Bleeding out, going into shock in the back seat, dying almost instantly on the sidewalk, not having made it to the car. None of this is real. You go easy on them. It's the only quantifiable reason you have for continuing to make that failed drive to the hospital every time. For steering one-handed, twisted around awkwardly, so you can let Josie hold the other one from the back seat as the light goes out of her eyes. For promising you'll get them to safety. The doctor, the safe house, whatever it is they need to hear, you let them have it from both barrels. Let them die thinking there's some hope of recovery. You get shot, crushed, mangled more times than you can count. Sometimes, mercifully, the artifact breaks on impact. Sometimes not. Still, you peel away down the street and onto the interstate like this is a race you can win. Would an asshole do that? You ask the artifact. It doesn't answer. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. 
The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Now, let's get back to our story. 103. It's been a while since you've tried this, so you figure, what the hell? Before any of them even leave the car, you hit the door locks and start driving as far and as fast away from that building as you can. A while back, you amused yourself for five minutes by naming a few of your most memorable failed solutions. This one's called The Only Way to Win is Not to Play. You still can't figure out why it doesn't work. The crew doesn't go in to steal the artifact, ergo it doesn't leave its vault. It doesn't get fucked with. It doesn't break somehow and trap you here. Worth another try, you reckon. You're not halfway to the nearest traffic light when Janelle pulls a gun on you. The fuck is this? She demands. She's the one who hired you after all. You're making her look bad. You guess the relic breaks later when they fuck up the heist somehow. You don't know. Janelle's bullet has already gone into your ear like a secret, and she and Priya will have stashed your body in the trunk. 104. Quick, you say. You're going 95 down the freeway, which is all this beater car can handle. Beside you, Janelle quietly hemorrhages her way into a semi-conscious fugue, mumbling something you can't make out. You've just had what can only be described as an epiphany. You've seen the movies... You can't believe you haven't thought of this before. Heart pounding with preemptive victory, you shout at her. Tell me something about yourself that nobody else knows. This brings her around a little. The fuck? Your favorite book, your favorite color, a secret childhood memory. Come on. You don't bother explaining the time loop. It won't work any better this time than it did the other 17 times you tried. You know from long experience that she does still have just enough strength left in her gun arm to render all your effort null and void. Yes, if she shoots you at this speed, the crash will pulp her where she sits. You've come to learn at this stage of the game... She's half delirious and has run comprehensively out of fucks to give. Odds are not in your favor. But the ace up your sleeve is... You're fucked either way. A scar from an injury when you were a kid. The name of your first dog. A constellation you always look for in the sky. An ice cream flavor you hate. You, she pronounces carefully in her slushy voice, are out of your entire fucking mind. She doesn't shoot you, though, which is the good news. 
The bad news is that she's on the verge of blacking out. Probably for keeps. Whatever she says next, you can't make it out. You lean in. You're not paying anything like the required amount of attention to the road. What? Nothing. You take your hand off the wheel to shake her. The car starts coasting eastward. Janelle, speak up. Only about 15% of the car is in its own lane anymore. You're holding Janelle up by two fistfuls of jacket. You can barely hear her over the sound of her lungs, the wind slicing past, someone laying on a horn somewhere to your nine o'clock. Her head bobbles like a daisy on a broken stem. Janelle! Strawberry, she mumbles to nobody in the last four seconds before the semi smashes into the car, reducing both of you and the artifact into slurry. Always tastes too. Too fucking faint. 105. Strawberry, you say to her. You hate strawberry ice cream. Fingers curled around the door handle, she pauses just long enough to spare a long-suffering glance at you over one shoulder. I'm not your friend, she says. And is gone. 106. Strawberry, you say to her. You hate strawberry ice cream. Fingers curled around the door handle, she pauses just long enough to spare a worried glance for Josie and Priya still performing last-second gun checks in the back seat. I don't fucking know, this look says. She came highly recommended. Let's just get this done. Everybody hates strawberry ice cream, Priya says from the back. Tastes like plastic ass. 107. Strawberry, you say to her. You hate strawberry ice cream. She doesn't even elect to dignify this with a response. She opens the door and steps out into the day. Someone must have tipped off the cops. They mow her down where she stands. 108. This isn't working. 109. Nothing works. 110. You're fucked. Nothing but fucked over and over and over. 111. They don't trust you. Why should they? They don't know the first fucking thing about you. You're somebody Janelle's cousin's ex recommended. If they trusted you, they might have given you a gun. Some more info about the artifact they're risking everything to steal. Some more info about the crew with which you're locked into this endless, hellish trustfall. Something. They could all be agents with the Department of Defense, for all you know. And the heist is a cover to keep dumb fucks like you off the trail of what's really going on. They'll put a bullet in the back of your skull when they're done with you. Dump you at the side of the interstate, back among those trees where you've buried Janelle so many times you've lost count. Raccoons will gnaw your bones. One twelve. Wait. One thirteen. Wait a fucking second. One fourteen. They don't know you. You. Could be anyone. One fifteen. Times when you don't fuck up the process by opening your mouth and causing one or more of them to break schedule, you could set a clock by how they deploy themselves from the car. First, Priya, then Josie, followed closely by Mira, followed last by Janelle. Priya reaches for the handle and you slam the locks. This has gotten you killed at least four times by your count already. Outraged noises from the back seat. 
Somebody cocks a gun way too close to your head. Now or never. It's a setup, you tell them. You go in there, you die. All of you. The fuck is this? Mira demands. She's not talking to you. She's talking to Janelle. Janelle, who vouched for you. Who bleeds out beside you every 15 minutes on average until the heat death of the universe. Best you can tell. Sorry, you think at her. Like she hasn't shot you herself upward of two dozen times already. Fuck if I know, Janelle says. She prods you with the barrel of her pistol. You heard her. Spit it out. Considering what you've been through already, it's still surprisingly hard to play it cool with her gun against your neck. Nine times out of ten, your dying words are mumbling about how you never should have taken this job. You think? Ten times out of ten, you die either way. Don't trust me then, you say instead. Trust your instincts. You never liked the look of this job. Janelle blinks. The gun shifts a fraction of a millimeter. Her trigger finger doesn't move. Shoot her, Josie tells Janelle. I'll drive. This riles Janelle enough to shift her focus infinitesimally. I take orders from you now? In the back seat, Josie shuts up fast. There are other jobs, you say. You for whom there is no other job. Not now, not ever. You know I'm right. This is not our fucking day. Believe me. You make yourself shrug. Or... You know, don't. Shoot me, if you want. Thank my corpse later for the warning when you walk into that ambush that's waiting in there for your dumb asses to blunder in on it. I don't care anymore. Janelle looks at you. Then she looks at the black glass spire of the building. Then back at you, eyes like lasers. Something in your face has her shaken. That or the building spooks her, as well it should. It's crawling with security. You're in on this. You shake your head. Look, I just want to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, Janelle says under her breath. You're not sure if she's talking to you or the building or herself or what. Unconsciously, she rubs the back of one wrist against her stomach like her body remembers the deaths her mind cannot. Fuck it. Drive. No fucking way, Priya shouts. I came here to get my cut. Who's going to make good on that? You? There's always another job, Janelle says. Then, in a sharper voice, I thought I told you to fucking drive. It's a second before you realize this means you. The artifact will break, of course, whether any of you touch it or not. Eventually, it always will. You're not getting out of this that easy. But, and you're not sure if you're hallucinating this entirely, it's that subtle. The length of your lifetimes has been slowly, slowly, semi-steadily increasing. Sometimes, when your plan works and nobody shoots you and nobody gets shot, the whole loop takes 10 minutes. But sometimes, it takes 30. Occasionally, lately, it even pushes 35. Sometimes, they won't trust you. They'll shoot you where you sit. Sometimes, the artifact will break early. It's impossible to predict. But one day, if you're very lucky, you'll pass the exit to the hospital. And it'll be the most beautiful fucking thing you've ever seen. One day, after more iterations than you can even begin to guess at, you might get a solid hour 
of lifetime in one stretch. You'll drop off the crew as they direct you one by one at separate blocks. Nobody will thank you. You won't care. One day you'll realize you've probably lived longer in these 15 to 30 to 60 minute bites that you would have in your whole life on the collective timeline. One day, much later, your lifetime might span two hours. One day, past when everyone you left behind and all their children and all their children's children are long since dead, it may even reach four. One day, the sky will change color right there above you, and you'll be convinced it's your mind finally bowing and breaking under the strain. You'll wait to die, really die, and fail to. One day, another lifetime later, you'll realize what you were looking at. The sun setting. For now, you do what you came here a thousand, thousand lifetimes to do. You drive. We talked a lot about this story um, and, and whether or not um, we should do it because it's so out of pattern um, structurally for stories that we do. And it's not just the format. I mean, I, I know I've never cursed this much in a story before. Not that I'm, you know, concerned about my cursing. I, I, I actually love to curse. I find, I, I find profanity incredibly expressive. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not something that, that I am accustomed to, to doing with such uh, ferocity and frequency in a story. So there were a, there were a lot of reasons that, that gave us pause, but the story itself was just too good, too delicious. To pass up. Even though the whole idea of Groundhog Day is, is, is not new, um, there is a twist, I think, in this that was really satisfying to me. And as much as at some point in all of the repetition, she made a different choice. She made a choice that she hadn't made before. Not that it reshaped the outcome, but when she offered her companions a bit of hope by not trying to tell them what their immediate eventual fate was going to be. She, she chose the pathway of compassion. And it was selfless. She didn't gain anything from it. The benefit all accrued to her companions. Now, I don't know for certain, but maybe in this story, that grace returned in the form of just a little piece in her heart before she died yet again. We talked about earlier how this season, because of the material that presented itself, really did come down to a theme along the lines of individual choices in the midst of difficult circumstances. And in this story, she makes difficult choices even while knowing what the outcome is going to be. And that, that one choice stands out to me, that, that one choice that wasn't about her. She was able to take herself out of the equation for a second and really focus on the amount of suffering that she might be able to mitigate 
with an act of kindness. I have begun to come to the realization that, you know, that, that saying, be the change you want to see in the world. I guess there really is no way around that. Change of any nature is an inside job. So I have to be willing um, to make change. And I'm not exactly sure about what that looks like yet, the changes that I need to make. But I'm certain that I will fail and succeed in alternate measure, but that I am best served by having the courage to continually look inside for where I might need to make adjustments. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design by Justin Asher, one of our new kids on the block who's not so new anymore. Our sound engineering is by Brendan Burns and my favorite engineer, LeVar Burton. My thanks to Nicole Cornerstays for letting me read her story today. Check out her next novel for adults called Firebreak from Saga Press in May. Or if you've got a middle grade science fiction reader in your life, check out Parasite Planet published by Tachyon Publications coming this July. And if you like this podcast, one of the ways you can show it is by sharing an episode with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and include a story suggestion for us. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and also have access to some exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher our executive producers are Josephine Martirana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, LeVar.Burton on Instagram, or my website, LeVarBurton.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 